Welcome to another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens, below the line, with the movers and shakers, the film and TV makers, and as of today, the the multi-sensory augmented reality makers. This is going to be a first today for BTL uh, and me, Uh, but... We talked to everyone. We talked to the producers, the writers, the directors, the actors, the cinematographers, the production designers, the animators, the composers, the costume designers, the sound mixers, sound editors, film editors, and authors. We talked to everybody. Um, And it's a joy doing it. So, uh, a little housekeeping at the top of the show here. Uh, Unfortunately, because of how... Big Boss Nick has hooked up the the Mevo camera to the Facebook live stream for Adrenaline Radio. It apparently now precludes live listening during the show. Uh, if you just want to hear, if you just want to click on, you know, listen live. But he is uh, working to rectify that for future shows. So... If you're watching right now on the Facebook live stream on AdrenalineRadio.com, that's great. And if not, you'll be hearing this uh, on the, as a podcast later on on BehindTheLensOnline.net, on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, all of the usual suspects. Uh, but hopefully by next week, you'll also, you will be able to listen to us live on YouTube, on the Adrenaline Radio YouTube channel. So I'll be posting updates about that this week on BehindTheLensOnline.net on the website and then on my Facebook page, uh, Debbie Lynn Elias. So stay tuned. We got big things happening, more exposure, more places. Um, But as for today's show, I'm very excited. She's already on the line, so I'm going to bring her live in a moment here. Charlotte Mickelborg, she is the director of the multi-sensory augmented game from the Mary Rose Museum called Time Detectives, the Mystery of the Mary Rose. It's an app. And any of you that have listened to me over the past eight and a half, almost nine years, you know I'm not a gamer. I don't do apps, but for a couple word games. (laughs) I don't go too far beyond that. But what this game does, it incor- it's an immersive game that, in this, with this particular game, because the way it's created, and I, I'm going to talk to Charlotte about this, is we'll be able to be transported in time and have this immersive experience with lots of fun historical things. In this case, it is the sinking of the Mary Rose, which was Henry VIII's favorite warship, uh, which... The sinking of huge, huge, huge part of history. Uh, almost all of the 500 crew perished. The treasures aboard the aboard the ship are amazing. Um, there is a whole museum for it. So there has now been created a game, a historical game, and apparently they'll be able to do this with other sorts of historical events uh, and create apps for this one-of-a-kind experience. And 
I understand that if you go to the actual Mary Rose Museum and you play the app on your phone, there's also quote unquote smell vision. So you will get smells as well. Uh, and then later in the show, we're going to be talking about Emily the criminal. But first, I'm so happy to, to have join us now, Charlotte Mickelborg. Hello, Charlotte. Hi, Debbie. Nice to speak to you. I joy to speak with you. You are a first. You are the very first guest I have had in all these years of my show to talk about gaming and this multi-sensory <laughs> augmented game of, of, time of time detectives. I'm fascinated by the entire premise of this and the fact that it incorporates history and historical events just makes it even more fabulous. And I'm going to be honest, right now I downloaded the app to my phone. I have now done it five times, but I meet Hatch the Dog and his brass bell, and then it freezes, and I can't get any further. So, oh, what? This is not good news. But it could just okay, be... Okay, well, this is something we need to solve for you. We haven't had this happen before, so uh, let's, let's help you get over this problem. What, what, what phone are you on, Debbie? I have, I'm Android. I have a Samsung Galaxy 8, and even though the phone okay. says it should be compatible... I'm thinking maybe it's not really because it yeah, is Yeah, Galaxy older. 8 would be one of the very early yes. um, phones that were supposed to be compatible with AR. And we find the same with iPhones. The iPhone 7 was officially compatible, but unofficially it doesn't work with yes. some of the more recent AR. Um, I'll have a look into that for you, though, offline, Debbie, for sure. Yeah. Hopefully we can get that sorted for you so you can explore the experience. Well, and in the meantime, um, my engineer, Pam, she has a much newer phone. So I'm going to make her download have the app. Have a play on that. Yes, because she does Good. She does games. Um, Brilliant. So well, it's perfect. It's funny, really, because I'm here to talk about our new game, but actually we've often been talking it, about it as an experience rather than a game because I'm kind of in the business of making interactive experiences. So I've made everything from film, conventional film, to 360 um, film to multi-sensory virtual reality experiences. And this is our first multi-sensory augmented reality experience. What? So although it is gamified, and this is the first one that I could also describe as a game, mm -hmm. I'm also not a full-time gamer or game maker myself. Um, and this is really our first exploration oh, of games. Good. And we did it because <laughs> we love historical fiction so much as a genre and felt like a whole new generation of young people could get could could be brought into you know this incredible genre of storytelling also through using immersive media and see this is really this is what jumped out at me when Annie first reached out to me about this this is what jumped out to me is the experiential part and yes you can do it in person if you go to the museum and I'm sure you're going to partner with other places as well uh, to create something experience uh, experiential in you know live and in person uh but it's the fact that you're bringing that history into an app so that the average person can learn about these these various historical events or places or things and you know who doesn't want to be their own nancy drew or hardy boy 
Everybody wants to. <laughs> or Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. You know. Uh, yeah, we, we wanted to... I, the reason that... I mean, part of the reason that this whole experience came about was that we were starting to develop it at the same time that COVID hit. And actually, I had a big um, VR installation experience that was about to come to the States at that time. And... Um, it was a great point in time because we just got to the point where immersive media and the technology behind immersive media like virtual reality and interactive installations and other things had got to a really exciting point where people were able to come to physical venues, experience these incredible sort of technological magic, really, and storytelling. Um, and then all of a sudden COVID hit and people obviously weren't going out. And, and that seemed like a great shame to me that all of these, the possibilities that had been opened up for storytellers working in this new area was suddenly kind of closed <laughs> off. So we thought that if we developed something that was incredibly immersive and augmented reality that people could experience on their phones, um, we could continue, you know, to kind of push the boundaries of what's possible in terms of um, immersive storytelling while also enabling people who couldn't necessarily leave home at the time um, and of course like you say you can go to the Mary Rose Museum if you happen to be in the UK which is in Portsmouth um, which is incredible where you see what's preserved of the 1500 the ship from the 1500s mm -hmm. um, and it's like a physical trail that you follow around the museum and you you wear like a scent backpack that we dev devised and developed um, or together with a company called O Widgets over here um, and basically, that's the phone speaks to the backpack so that at various points in the narrative, um, scents are released, smells, to further immerse you in that moment in the game. So, for example, part one of the clues is about a sabotage of the guns for which one of the crew members had both their ears cut off. <laughs> nice punishments in those days. Um, and when you fire the gun, you smell the gunpowder, for example, just to give one, one um, example. And in another... Um, the, you, you enter kind of a, a small room on the ship where they played backgammon and, and listened to music in the evenings because these were the kinds of entertainment they had on board. And the only drink that they would drink on board was beer, a, a watered-down beer, so not quite as strong as what we think of today, but still, they drank 14 pints of it per person per day. Oh, my so God. You get this... <laughs> So you get this like scent of beer that you get to smell at that moment when you enter that room because obviously with everyone drinking beer it would have been quite uh, okay. uh, overwhelming. Now, now is it the scent of beer or the scent of sweaty beer? Yeah, uh, no, the scent of beer. We we I think on board it would have set, smelled pretty strongly of sweat, yeah. but we did avoid that okay. because we just okay. we just thought there is a level of realism that people really don't want. Um but there was five hundred men on this ship. And uh, it was it was not a huge. I mean, it was a big ship for the time, but it wasn't a sh it wasn't a big ship by our standards these days sure. for sure. So they would have been pretty cramped together, and uh, they wouldn't have had great, you know, washing facilities. So, uh huh. <laughs> sure. So we're in other words, we're taking locker rooms to the next degree. So if anybody, I think so. If anyone yeah. today has been in a locker room after a game, and it's you know, a small, low-budget, no-budget locker room, it has a distinct yeah. scent. And just That's it. compound it's that. Locker room on steroids on board the Mary Rose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I find, what I love is, how did, how did you end up with the Mary Rose as your first experiential, as your first multisensory augmented game? 
Um, out of all yeah, the things well, in history, I mean, this one I think is fascinating, especially since, you know, everybody knows about Henry VIII. But yeah. you think he's so obsessed with his wives that he doesn't have time for anything else. But here is That's he, it. You hear the name Mary Rose and you're like, hang on, was one of them called Mary Rose? Yeah. No, I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a ship. Um, so how did you, and I'm fascinated by the Mary Rose because it actually sunk. Its anniversary is the day after my birthday. So. Oh, right. Yeah. Anything that's a train wreck, you know, um, <laughs> and, you know, oh, it's like, oh, okay. I could celebrate that too. Um, so how, how did you end up with the Mary Rose? Well, we got, originally we got some funding for developing this idea from um, a program called Story Futures. And we started, it was actually originally called Tudors Augmented, the, the, the project that we started developing. And we were looking at different Tudor locations in the UK. Um, and we were actually um, working with Surrey Council, so a, a specific county here that has a lot of Tudor sites. Um, including Hampton Court, which you, you might know as being the main home of Henry VIII. Mm -hmm. But he also built another palace called Oatlands Palace that has now basically been demolished and turned into a, like a housing estate. The demolishing didn't happen recently, I hasten to add. It happened in like the 1700s okay. or whatever. But we developed the app around that site where you could go on this kind of trail-based clue game and at certain points in that game, you would point your phone towards a, a certain point uh, on the trail, and you would see this, you know, palace come back to life. So, for example, one of the points on that was um, what Elizabeth I later used as her bedroom, and we started playing with scent there because we found the original recipe to her perfume back in the, you know, 1580s, um, and we re recreated that perfume. So when you entered that space, you would look through this sort of magical spyglass that was your phone's camera window, see the room as it would have been, and smell her presence with the smell of her wow. kind of perfume. So that was kind of where we started. And then when we got the funding for the main game, um, or the full funding for the first game, let's say, uh, which was from an organization here called Innovate UK, um, lots of support for like new forms of storytelling, which is brilliant in the UK. Um, we spoke to different venues. So we spoke to Shakespeare's birthplace, which is obviously a big Tudor location in mm -hmm. this country. We spoke to the guys at the Tower of London, Windsor Castle. We had various conversations. And essentially, um, you know, Mary Rose was one of those, um, obviously, as you say, like a fascinating story, because it is a genuine historical mystery as to why this ship that had been quite successfully seaworthy for like 30 years suddenly sank mm -hmm. on its way into battle, this big battle with the French. Um, and so we liked it because it was the genuine historical mystery of it, um, which made it, you know, we were genuinely turning you into an investigator where you could investigate the clues and come to your own conclusion as to why she sank, basically. Um, but also, there were slightly smaller museums, so I think they were probably able to be a little more nimble than some of the mm -hmm. others we spoke to in terms of the speed they, they could move. And we had, like, a very limited time window. We had to make the game within six months. So that was kind of, you know, the practical side of it. But, you know, I think it definitely works um, is for, for what we want to do, which is this trail-based clue game, this um, investigation it works brilliantly because of that that genuine mystery angle, basically. No, I love the mystery angle of it. That I think, and and it would be wonderful if for all the future experiential 
games that they all have mystery aspects as well. Definitely. Um, yes, you know, I agree. What's buried under Windsor Castle? Um, <laughs> who's buried? We, we don't want you to be able to just quickly Google it and then there's a simple That's... answer and you're like, I don't need to play the game. I already know. I just looked on Wikipedia. You know? No, no, <laughs> we no. Want we, we want everything that leads up to, you know, leads up to like all the crown jewels in the Tower of London. Um, from where and whence did they come? And, and okay, they've gone missing. Did one of the ravens steal who was, them? Uh, who was the real? Uh, who was the real Jack the Ripper? Is one one we could. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's lots of good potential. Look, the Jack the Ripper one. Uh, please, I, I I would love. I would love. Got to be done. You know, what, Jack the Ripper in Whitechapel. Oh, absolutely. That is. That would be our X-rated game. <laughs> <laughs> that would be blood and gore. Uh, yeah, it really would. But you know, and, and another one that I'd love to do, which is which risks being quite bloody, is like the Roman Forum. Oh and, yes, and, you know, one of one of the many um, sort of mysteries that unfolded there. I think all of which were quite bloody and gory. So I, you know, but but uh, there's definitely lots of potential in different um, aspects of history. Not all with blood and gore. I hasten to add. But you know, <laughs> um, and the Mary Rose game is directed at family audiences. So there's no real blood and gore in that. I mean, obviously there's there's a little bit like the story of the guy having his ears cut off, but you don't witness it. <laughs> right. You know, I um, wouldn't mind yeah. seeing that, but that's okay. Uh, yeah. you know, now, I'm curious, once you knew it was going to be the Mary Rose uh, Trust muse- and Museum that you would be working with, how do you start? Where do you start in crafting and creating this game, especially when, since, you know, you, there are going to be rooms that you can go into and experience this and the other. You know, how much of uh, research and decision-making did you do with out of the 19,000 artifacts that were recovered <laughs> from, uh, from the ship, from all the dives, uh, the excavations? Uh, you know, how do you, yeah. how do you decide? Where do you start? Uh, yeah, where do you start? And then where do you stop? Because it sounds yeah. like you can just keep building on what you have with something as fruitful as the Mary Rose. It sounds like Indeed. you, you, you well, can start with a thousand artifacts. Think... <laughs> oh, sorry, Debbie. I think I have a slight delay on the line. And occasionally if I'm talking over you, I do apologize. Um, well, where we started, we had excellent um, historical researchers helping us out. So, I mean, the lead historian at the Mary Rose, I'm sure she would not describe herself as a historical researcher. She's the lead historian at the Mary Rose, Dr. Alex Hildred. I mean, she knows everything there is to know about the Mary Rose. So we started with, with several discussions with her um, and sort of wading through lots of good sources that she sent us. Um, and then we also had a, an, another professor of history, um, a lady called Dr. Hannah Platz, who specialised actually in ancient history, but she, she took on the Tudors for the sake of this project um, and, and also did some brilliant research for us. So we started with, with research um, and then we kind of looked at what we had or the most interesting bits of what we had. Mm-hmm. And we developed a handful of different outline storylines, potential storylines. Um, and then we kind of presented those to Mary Rose team. And unfortunately, their favorite was was probably also our favorite. And that made it easier. Um, and, and I suppose that we're not a traditional or the experience is not maybe a traditional game in that there aren't 
you know, 100 different avenues you can follow. It's much more of a narrative game, I would say. So there is a distinct story that's essentially divided into kind of segments or clue points that you Mm -hmm. follow. So with each step you take, you uncover something. At the beginning of the game, you choose between one of two key characters. So you can kind of play from one of two key characters' perspectives. And as you follow their narrative, you discover sort of clues at each point in the game until eventually you feel you have enough to like assess why you think the mm. Mary Rose Bank um, and you can sort of deliver your report to the king at the end and, and you know, see whether or not he decides to cut your head off or if he's happy with your, <laughs> with the result. Um, but um, so, yes, yeah, so that's where we started. I mean, I guess we started with research and, and then a few different ideas of how the form the game could take and also the storyline it would follow. And then and then once we were in agreement with the Mary Rose team, we went from there. Oh, my God. When does this you've got all the research, you have your story, your story outlines done. Um, you have gone through your 19,000 artifacts and decided which ones <laughs> you would like would like to have visualized. Uh, for this, for the game, of course, if you're at the museum, you get to see these in person as you're going yep. through. Um, which, darn, it makes me want to go to Portsmouth just to see this. I know you got to go. Uh, <laughs> to be yeah. fair, we didn't have to start from nineteen thousand in the okay. sense that we knew we wanted to develop the game around objects that you could physically see in the museum and then augment those um, objects. With, with the augmented reality mm-hmm. of the game. So, for example, um, they have the skulls of, I think, 179, I hope I've not got that number wrong, 179 of the 500 sailors who died on board. Um, they have those skulls recovered wow. also with the ship. And so they've done photo fit of recreations of their faces. So, for example, not, not of all of them, but some of the key people. So when you walk around the museum, you see some of those faces. If you hold your phone up to them, they come to life and they tell you another part of the story. Or, for example, there's a piece of jewellery, a Maltese cross, which when you see it in the museum looks quite kind of barnacled and dull and grey. But when you bring it to life in the augmented reality, it returns it to its original glory, so to speak. And you see the beautiful like red glistening garnets that are encrusted into the metal. And and then you can read about what this item really, Mm -hmm. um, you know, means to the story and more generally um and you can kind of collect that as well as part of the game but um so yeah so we didn't start from 19,000 I'm not sure how many objects are on display but I would guess there are a couple of thousand (laughs) probably not more than that I would assume but at what point do, do you do the app designers get handed this to actually create the coding and everything that goes into the app itself well, we were quite tight on time. So we literally did our research in, let's say, December of last year mm-hmm. into January, December, January. Wow. And then we were already like writing storylines in towards the end of January. Um, and I'd say we went into then We did basically most of the game development then in February and March. So, I mean, after the storyline has been written and the UX has kind of broadly been designed, mm-hmm. that's when it kind of went to... So UX sort of user experience, obviously, like how the game, the idea for how the game would be played, like the creative for that was done by me together with the narrative writing in consultation with some of our other, other team members, like our producer, Shiv McDonnell, and um, our historian that I mentioned, Hannah Platts, and a couple of other 
great folk, including our developer, actually, the wonderful Grigor Todorov, who um, all of those people fed into that that ideation. But yeah, once it went, what, so once the, all those ideas were clear, it went to him primarily for the kind of writing of the code. Mm. And, and then it went to our 3D modelers who made the artifacts, uh, the 3D models of the artifacts and so on. And how many times did you have to look at renderings um, to say yay or nay? Oh, my goodness. I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> Quite a few. <laughs> Quite a few. Because I know. Yeah, I don't know. I know. I did not keep track. Hundreds. You know, just from sp- from speaking so many times with all the visual effects people at Weta yeah. uh, down in New Zealand, it's the rendering. You're constantly rendering. You're constantly rendering yeah. and changing. Um, yeah. So I can just imagine you went through the same thing with this that they go through on a Marvel film. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the only advantage with making augmented reality, which is very different, again, to the visual effects world or to the virtual reality world. Mm -hmm. The difference between augmented reality and those two worlds is that in those two worlds, you're creating the entire world, whatever world you're inhabiting in that scene of the film or, or, or of the virtual reality experience, you're creating every aspect of it. Okay, some of these things are purchasable. They're already in existence. But for the most part, you're creating that world. Um, whereas with something like augmented reality, obviously there are more limited numbers of assets because the reality is the world around you. And we're looking to augment that world around you. Like once you do get to play the game, mm-hmm. <laughs> you will see that, for example, a character will come into your room as if a person, and the characters, it's another innovation of the game, actually, because this isn't something that's, that's been done before on any scale, but the, the characters we bring into your environment are fully realistic 3D characters. So unlike Pokemon Go, where you're playing the game, but they're little anime characters, these are real people, or seem like real people mm-hmm. stepping into your, your room. Um, so, but that's one asset, you know, that's not, I don't have to create the entire, entire world around mm-hmm. person for that scene, for example. So it's significantly less, I'd say, than for virtual reality, but still, um, you know, if you want to like anything, if you want to get it right, if you want it to be really good, <laughs> there's still a fair bit of rendering and a fair bit of, um, yeah, a, a fair number of versions of, of the different assets and such like. Yeah, I'm curious, what led you to multi-sensory augmentation since this is so new and yeah because that's a good question we you know we've all been to or most a lot many people have been to when titanic with all the artifacts and a walkthrough exhibit was put through and you put on the headphones and you hear and it's like okay you're standing here and here is captain smith and you know you've got somebody doing a voice talking about that this goes so far above those early that early kind of uh, experience. So I'm curious, what led you to this multi, multi-sensory augmentation? Well, I've been working, I mean, I love multi-sensory. I feel like why would we just entertain you via your audiovisual senses when we can entertain you via your haptic and olfactory? So, you know, I, mean, I just don't see why. Why would we can, it's a bit like with conventional film versus virtual reality, although I appreciate that some incredible conventional films out there. Um, But, you know, why limit yourself to the rectangular screen or why limit yourself to the audiovisual? And especially I'm a 
huge believer in scent because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's scientifically proven that the scent is the only one of our senses that speaks directly to the limbic part of our brains, which is the memory forming part, basically. So the other senses get there eventually. They just have a less direct route, which is why if you smell something, the reaction or the memory that comes is so much quicker than if you hear or see something that you recognize. Um, And so... I love working with scent for that reason. I was very keen to try, or I've been very keen probably since about 2018, to experiment with scent in ways that doesn't feel gimmicky because mm-hmm. I didn't want the sort of 4D cinema spraying scent at you. You know, that, that to me can take away from the experience, not add to it. So, for example, the scent devices. Actually, I've, we've just had an article come out in the Daily Mail in the UK, and I was slightly upset that it mentions it mentions the devices spraying scent into your nostrils, which is, is couldn't be further. I mean, the rest of the article was great, so I'm not having a genuine win, a general whinge, but it doesn't do that at all in actual fact. First of all, it doesn't spray because it's a dry scent, so it kind of mm-hmm. emanates from the device. It doesn't it doesn't spray anywhere. And second of all, it kind of it, it, the, the the emanation comes from around your breast height, so it's yeah, it's not, it's not that near to your nostril. It's not um, but yeah, so that's so that's really why. And I worked with um, I made a multi-sensory virtual reality experience for British Airways Centenary called Fly that I did with um, Neil Corbell's special effects team. So I, I'm assuming you may know Neil's team, but they did the special effects on Gladiator and Gravity mm-hmm. and such like. And so I worked with them. Um, Actually, they weren't doing the multi-sensory aspect. They were doing the haptic, the motion aspect of right. the storytelling in Fly. And I worked with another partner who did the scent element. Um, and in fact, I was looking to work with them again on this. And we tried R&Ding some smaller badge-like devices that just weren't really working. So in the end, I went back to the original scent partner on Fly, a company called O-Widgets, I think I mentioned them, um, who then developed yeah. the scent backpacks that we're currently using. But Anyway, still, Neil's team and I are still keen to kind of explore other collaborations together. So we're, we're talking about other exciting possibilities. Well, the whole idea of the scent, of, of, of the smell, bringing that in, I just think is so spectacular. And obviously that was the whole idea when Smell-O-Vision uh, was trying <laughs> to, to rear its ugly head many, many decades ago. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. I, I wondered if we could have a conversation without smell vision but no. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, you know, for my money, that smell vision was is like offensive. Um, this does not sound <laughs> offensive at all in person. And I'm upset you haven't figured out how to bring that scent into the app if when somebody's just on their phone. My gosh. It's got to be done. Uh, and I think you're going to be the one that does it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, I need to get chatting to a friend of mine who used to work. I, uh, well, I'm, I think he probably still does work, but I think the name of the department has for sure changed when Facebook became meta, but in their reality labs. And he was playing with all kinds of fun, different ideas uh-huh. about, you know, how we'd be on, you know, we'd be on um, the equivalent of a Zoom call. I'm trying to think what Facebook facebook meta's version of that is right now but and that you would reach out to kind of touch someone or comfort someone on the other side of the world like a family member or whatever and you would feel that touch on your arm and things like that and they were so they were very much looking into how we could take multi-sensory experiences digital in that way but yeah it hasn't quite been worked out yet so we will have to um put our collective brains to seeing how that would be possible so that you guys in the states can also experience the mystery of the mary rose with 
with said as opposed to without. I would say that it is still a really fun experience to have without the scent, but obviously the scent just adds an extra an extra layer of immersion, basically. It, yes, it's that little something extra that makes it so special. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm just whole. I am just blown away by the, the whole premise of this, and you know, getting to play detective, and go yeah. through and formulate. Um, I don't have to vicariously watch Bones or or Castle, um, uh, you know. Which, Although you can do that too. I, the two I, things are not mutually exclusive. Oh, <laughs> trust me, trust me. I I am a devotee of Bones and Castle. Um, you know, I I I love the whole mystery aspect of solving something, and here having to put all the clues together and figure out and present what I think is the reason or how the Mary Rose sank, you can come up with how many, how many possibilities? Do you have any idea? Oh gosh, actually I haven't. Now I need a, I need a mathematician. I can't think of how many it would be because you pick three of 11 potential reasons for the sinking. And then you get kind of your score reflects how many of them, you know, we don't, it's, it's, not, it's not really a right and wrong answer. Right. It's kind of calculated on a degree of likelihood that, you're, that your choices are right. <laughs> so it's a little bit hard to work out. But I would say that there's probably at least, oh, my goodness, somebody out there is screaming at the radio, no, she's wrong, there's not. But there's probably <laughs> like 100 combinations. I would, I would think. Something in that ballpark, I would guess. I, I would think. Um, and that, that, I think, is just so intriguing. So intriguing. So how many times have you actually experienced this or played it? And did the king ever chop your head off? <laughs> so he doesn't actually chop your head off. We, thought, we weren't sure how kids would take to it. I think they'd have loved it. But yeah, he doesn't actually chop your head off. Um, and if you do badly, you do, get one, you do get a chance to kind of go back and change your answers. So we were pretty generous with people. <laughs> um, but how many times have I played it? I'm not actually sure. Again, I haven't kept track, but I would have to estimate maybe 30, maybe more, something like that. Okay. All right. Now, but you see, I kind of know, I kind of know the answer, so I'm sort of cheating. So, um, of course, I'm scoring quite highly when I play. But now I know that there are, quote, in-app purchases here. What is it that people get to purchase in the app to keep oh, going no. so on that's, with that's the game? A bit, that's a bit, uh, that might be a bit uh, misleading. So, actually, you, you download the app for free. Right. So, the in-app purchase is just the purchase of the game itself. And we wanted to price it reasonably. We didn't want to price it too highly because one of the key goals of this game was to make sure it felt accessible to anybody who wanted to to play. So it's like five ninety nine, I think, US dollars, and it's oh ninety nine here in the UK. We feel it's worth more, but we wanted, like I say, to just make it accessible. That's nothing. Um, and there's no other in-app purchase. So the reason we've done it that way is because we want the the app to hold various mysteries that we will develop not just mm -hmm. this first one um and so we've done it so that you can download it and have a look at what's on offer for free obviously but then you can choose what you want to partake in mm -hmm. um so yeah wow wow i mean now it's like i may have to go get a new phone just so that i 
I may have to upgrade my phone just so that I can experience time detectives on it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, well, give it a try on your colleague's phone first. Yes. But if you love it, then, <laughs> then yes. it's time for new phone. You hear that, Pam? <laughs> you know, she's in there nodding. Yes. She has, she has to be useful here and constructive with, <laughs> with this app. So now that, you know, this is launched... And I love the fact that it launched, that launch of the of Time Detectives was tied into the July 19th sinking of the Mary Rose. Um, you know, what did you learn as a director, as a creator of this experiential game, augmented game? What did you learn that will now up your game for future projects, Ooh, future multi-sensory projects? Uh, that's a good question. I think probably um, I learned never to make a game again. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I think I learned to, that actually I could get even more um, involved with the storytelling. Not meaning, in, I mean, I was involved with the storytelling, but in, in the sense that I feel like I could make it even more complex. Like, I think that the story is fairly easy to follow and I think we could we could do more I mean I I'd be really interested I'm really interested to hear any feedback that anyone who's playing it on the app store or the google play store you know any feedback you want to add we'd love to hear it or you can there's details there you can email us um because obviously every bit of feedback we get we're going to incorporate to you know make make the game better make future games better but I think yes we could almost make this narrative trail is relatively straightforward in the sense that you follow like a 10, 12 point clue point um, storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there could be more. I think we could get even more involved with it. At the moment, there's two characters to choose from. Probably we'll keep with that formula for now unless we hear from people that they really want more. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, all of those things, I think it's just been a, a, a massive learning experience because it's my first time doing something that is, gamified as opposed right. to um i've done things that weren't purely linear story storytelling because i've done other interactive storytelling but mm-hmm. it's the first experience that was gamified and so there's there's, so, there's almost too many learnings to list on the show but i think that the biggest one would probably be that we could we could push the audience even further we can you know we can get even more into the nitty-gritty of the storytelling i think oh my gosh well I'm just, I am so enthralled and so intrigued by this entire concept and by the premise of this particular story, The Mystery of the Mary Rose. Um, I, you know, I can't wait to, ha- to, to play this, to experience this, and I can't well, wait. Well, let us know what you think. I will, and uh, this is Pam's assignment. Pam is going to have to do this um, since she has the new phone. <laughs> Uh, and <laughs> one of the things I think you don't appreciate as much in the remote game as on the, on the location game is the thing I mentioned about the characters. So the two main characters, they come up as, as real characters in your room. But the other characters in the game, the peripheral kind of characters, they are, they are these photo fits recreated from the skulls of the crew members. Mm. But, I, but that is not actually clear in the game. Like mm-hmm. when you're playing it on site, you know it because you, you, you have that information within the museum and you see that face and you bring it to life with mm-hmm. your phone. Actually, when you're playing the at-home version, they just look like 
animated faces that talk to you, but you don't know that their backstory is that these are the real They're faces real, of the real, real crew members. Wow. Which is why, you know, someone's heard this on the radio and then played great because now they know this is not just someone else talking to you. You know, this is the person talking to you. So that's yeah. exciting. But, oh, um, my but anyway, sorry, I just got off on a tangent. You, you were saying I, sorry. No, sorry. I, I love the tangent. I love, I love it. And you know, I can't, I can't wait to see what you come up with for the next mysteries. For the Time Detective series. And I'm also working on my first interactive feature film. Oh my God! Um, Let, well, tell me, tell me. Led, uh, a female-led story an incredible story true story i mean it's going to be historical fiction because of how far back in history it is there's obviously elements that we don't know and and you know for the sake of dramatization there will be some things that we we invent we are inventing in the storyline but um but that's one that i'm very excited about Ooh. but that's not a game <laughs> that's going to be a film Ooh. So many things. You yeah. you got so many so irons. Many things. So many irons in the fire, Charlotte. My gosh. Too too many. <laughs> oh. This has been so fabulous having you on the show today. I hope you'll come back well, again. Um I s- sincerely hope you'll come back again. Uh Love to. This is just so much fun. Be it talking about the interactive film be talking about you know upgrades and more chapters for time detectives oh just so fabulous charlotte i can't thank you enough oh thanks so much for having me really appreciate it and everybody can if you're in portsmouth or heading that across the pond you can experience this up close and personal at the mary rose yeah, museum exactly. and otherwise get your iphone Get your Android phone, and you can download the app from the stores, from your respective app fab. store, a Google Play or whatever. Fab, fab. Uh, and do let us know how you get on. Oh, I will let you know how I get on once once I have a phone that it will work on. So, <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it should it should work on any phone that was that for the last that all the phones for the last four years essentially anything before that. It shouldn't. It actually shouldn't download to your phone if it's if it's not going to work. But there's that small gap of phones that were supposed to work with augmented reality, but don't properly work with or you know, which yeah. is around the iPhone seven uh, yeah, era I'm and would be around out. the Galaxy yeah. eight, I think. That's yeah. So yeah, you know, and I'm one of these people. Until the phone doesn't work anymore, I hold on to it. Um, yeah, well, I'm I'm the same. There's no, there's no, don't up, don't if it's not broken. <laughs> if it's not broken, I don't need to spend thirteen hundred dollars for a new phone. So, <laughs> oh, Charlotte, thank you so so much, and hopefully we will speak again sooner rather than later. Sounds good. All right, Debbie, take care. Have a good day. You too. Bye bye. Bye. And that was director Charlotte Mickelberg talking about the multi-sensory augmented game, Time Detectives, The Mystery of the Mary Rose. Go to your app store. Go, go, go to Google Play. Download it, Time Detectives. And then get ready. This is such a fascinating concept. Um, but yeah, I guess that I am going to have to get a new phone just so I can play this. Unless, unless Pam downloads it on her phone. Oh, she's... Oh, she's doing something she's been doing it while we've been on the air talking about it my goodness oh she found it 
She's showing me through the glass here in the booth, folks. Uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's just another day of live, live behind the lens happening here. Before we move on uh, to Emily the Criminal, briefly want to mention we had the Hollywood Critics Association TV Awards over the weekend, two nights. Night one was Saturday for broadcast and cable awards. Night two was for streaming. Uh, and big, big, big wins for on Saturday night for the White Lotus. Walked away with five Hollywood Critic Association TV awards. Abbott Elementary, four. Um, Melanie Linsky picked up an award. Henry Winkler, always a favorite, no matter where he is and what he wins or is nominated for. Everybody loves Henry. And then last night, uh, I have to give a huge, huge, huge shout out of congratulations to my friend Todd Lieberman, producer of Chippendale Rescue Rangers, one for animated feature, and then Dope Sick. Danny Strong, you are a genius. Um, Dope Sick picked up four awards last night. Uh, Danny for writing, also for the best limited drama series, Michael Keaton, best actor, Caitlin Deaver, best supporting actress. Um, huge, huge congratulations to all the winners, but, you know, some of these people are my friends. And they hold a very special place uh, in my heart, uh, particularly Danny and Todd. Uh, but And then Abbott Elementary, come on, the Philly gal does, it makes good. Um, so great job all around. I'm looking forward to the HCA Film Awards in 2023 now. So let us move on to... Emily the Criminal. Emily the Criminal is fabulous. It is. It stars Aubrey Plaza, Theo Rossi, uh, a wonderful pop-up, almost cameo from Gina Gershon, uh, who we don't see enough of anymore. But basically the story, the story is about Emily, played by Aubrey Plaza. She's got student debt up the wazoo. It is, it's still a hot topic in the news today. Uh, with students, including one of my nephews, um, with student loans, wondering, are we going to have to pay it back? Are we not going to have to pay it back? We don't want to have to pay it back. Um, but here we have Emily, and she's saddled with student debt, and she had a minor criminal infraction at one point. So it kind of precludes her from a lot of jobs. Uh, but then she gets a referral from a guy that she does work uh, work with, with at her current job, which is delivering food. Uh, but she gets a, gets a job as a dummy shopper, buying goods with stolen credit cards. She gets assurances from the guy who is, who's running it, named Youssef, who is played by Theo Rossi. Um... Theo Rossi is so charismatic and so personable. And the way this character is constructed by writer and director John Patton Ford, if he sits there and smiles at you and tells you, no one's going to get hurt, 
You're not you're not going to get arrested. Um, these are fake credit cards. You can only use them one or two times, so you got to do it for big purchases. Um, it's just, and then they pull the money. You know, it's really interesting. Credit card fraud is very interesting, but that's a topic for another time. I have been a victim of credit card fraud at the beginning of the tip of the iceberg years ago before the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act went into effect with protocols and protections for consumers now so that you're not liable um, for thefts, for fraudulent charges on your cards beyond, I think, $50 now. But anyway, so Emily is, she's swayed by Yusuf. And she's finding out she can make quick money. She can pay those student loans off. She might be able to get a nicer apartment. But there's also a thrill to this. Black market capitalism at its finest. Uh, and, of course, sooner or later, there is some romances going to ensue here. And Emily and Yusuf put their heads together to come up with a bigger and better way to expand this smaller business. It, there is a lot of edge-of-your-seat um, moments in the film. What I love about the structure of the film, it feels very verite, it's very real, almost documentary style in many respects. John Patton Ford knows what he wants uh, with the camera. Uh, he works beautifully with his cinematographer, Jeff Bierman, uh, you can tell a lot is shoot from the hip to catch a moment. But the shining stars in this film are Aubrey Plaza and Theo Rossi. They are incredible. And I could watch the two of them. I would love to see them partner up in something else again. Uh, editing is by Harrison Atkins. And it is superbly, superbly edited. But... I think we're going to I'm going to let you listen to now. How about Theo Rossi's interview? I had a chance to speak with John Pattenford and with Theo Rossi last week. Um just before the film opened, you can see it now. It's out. Uh it opened over on Friday. So, but I think we're going to hear time-wise, I think we're going to do Theo. Yes? All right. So, without any further ado, take a listen to my exclusive interview with Theo Rossi talking about Emily the Criminal and a few other little things. Hey, Theo. Hey, Deb. How are you? I am so happy to get to speak with you again. Last time we talked, it's been so long, L.A. Film Festival, Low Riders premiere. Oh, wow. That was a hot day. Do you remember that? Oh, my God. And then all the car, all the lowrider cars. Oh my God! Yeah, yes. it was an amazing day. But it was about a, it was like the center of the sun. It was very hot that day. I remember it very well. And, and uh, <laughs> I shouldn't have wore all black. It was great. <laughs> but you looked really good. Thanks. Those cars were amazing. What a great premiere that was. Oh my God! I think it's one of the best that L definitely the LA Film Festival ever had. Yeah, I'm making all those low riders. It was really cool. Oh, great to talk to you again. I'm so excited. I'm also thrilled because Escape the Field, earlier this year in May, Yeah. what a great yeah. film. What a great oh. job you all did with Emerson and that film. So creative, 
It had me on the edge of my seat the entire time. You as Tyler were fabulous. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. Yeah, I was just on the phone with Emerson. We're about to do another project together. I'm a big fan. He'll be with me tonight at the uh, the screening here, and he's a, he's a he's a great friend, and we've worked together a bunch. So oh. yeah, I'm glad you like that. Uh, that was uh, that was the first movie I did back during the pandemic. So that was like kind of an experiment, and we did it in a cornfield. <laughs> yes, uh, it was an interesting movie. At best. Emerson and yeah. I talked at great length about making that film, and yeah. just an amazing job, but as I said, so unique, so original, and now here you are in Emily the Criminal, another very unique original story that we haven't seen before. That's, that's, I'm, I'm trying to keep you on your toes there. i yeah. got to keep you guessing. Got to keep doing things that no one expects. You're certainly doing that, Theo. I love this film. I love the style of the film. It's very real. But I love your character of Yusuf and what you bring to him. Because I got news for you. If I had forty, fifty thousand dollars in student debt or any debt, and a guy like you was sitting there saying nobody's going to get hurt, you can make some money with this. And the way you would smile, I'd probably say, yeah, okay, I'll give it a try. Listen, if this doesn't work out, you might get that phone call. I might put you on, <laughs> who knows, we'll put a Ponzi scheme or something together. We're going to get it going. Be ready. Get that 50K ready. <laughs> you know, number one, what spoke to you about this script when it came across your desk and you read it? I mean, first and foremost, um, it's the fact that it's a writer-director. That's my, always my, uh, writer-directors are, they're getting more, uh, uh, you're seeing them more, but to me that's always the, that's always a, a, an amazing attribute that I look for in a project. Um, Aubrey Plaza, uh, I think she's absolutely fantastic, and I think that she's, She's just something special, and uh, she takes chances. She always keeps people guessing. She does really interesting roles, and um, I just we just wanted to work together. And uh, after we met, and we wanted to make this happen, so um, and we did. Uh, so that was the, the the two most important things, and then also uh, the script. The script is the point of us being in entertainment and watching movies and watching, you know, TV shows, the ones that we remember the most over our lifetimes are the ones that we relate to in some way or another. Even if we've never done it, we want to picture ourselves in it. Mm -hmm. um, and we want to think, we want to, uh, that walk to the parking lot after leaving the theater with that person we saw, we, we want to say, what would I do if that was me? And what would I do? Like you just said. And I think that's, the, that's part of the ride. So I think with this, when I read it, that was the most attractive thing that I, you know, I immediately thought, what would I do if my back was fully against the wall? What have I done when my back's been against the wall? And I think that that drew me the most to it because it's that what if situation for the viewer. Mm -hmm. Well, you really, really sell it. Let me tell you, you are so genuine as yourself. And the dynamic that you and Aubrey have in character you, we can feel it heating up as she gets deeper into this quote-unquote business shall we say and watching the two of you 
open up to each other. And both of you, you're very closed for the bulk of the film. But then little things like uh, her hair, Emily's hair changes. She, you know, she start instead of being buttoned up in, in the ugly blue service uniform, suddenly she's got more confidence because of you. You're more confident. You're bringing her home to your mother. It's really lovely to watch this human interest dynamic take place. So um, how did the two of you develop this so that it would be a natural growth and progression? Did you have the benefit of rehearsal? What was that process like for you developing this character and this relationship on screen? Well, it's it's great that you said that, and, and thank you so much for noticing all that. Um, yeah, we, we were very lucky. I was coming off a project. She was coming off a project. We both had uh, met in LA and because of the way you know we were doing this film during you know really the height of COVID a year ago today or maybe not the height but at one of the high points and we had at least 10 days before we were going to film and John was really adamant about us rehearsing every day and being together every day and eating together every day and spending time together so that's a tremendous part of it and then also, I think, and we all know this in our own life, you know this, I know this, anybody here listening to this knows this, sometimes you just meet people and you just, you just get along. You just get it. You understand that they're for you. And on the flip side of that, sometimes you meet people and you don't want them anywhere near you. You know, um, we just knew right away that we, we were in this together. And we, were, we, we had an immediate, you know, relationship and an immediate kind of in step with each other. And we knew that from our first rehearsal, we knew that from the first time we met, and we both believe that it really translated into the film. We both had each other's back. You know, this was her film that she produced. She's absolutely incredible in it, and uh, my job was to be there and support her and to make her have the best experience she could have because uh, this film's very important to her, and that's, you know, that's my job. You know, what was the most challenging aspect of breathing life and resonance into Yusuf? I think that I, the most important aspect was to make him, even though what he was doing for a living, and uh, was to make him sympathetic. Mm-hmm. My, my goal with a lot of my characters, and I've played some really dark, you know, what the world might <laughs> consider violent or you know uh criminal or whatever but what i always want to trick people with is that i want you to feel for them and him more than that because i don't think he wasn't doing anything so bad he wasn't like a violent criminal right like right. i've played those yes those you have a little harder to make sympathetic he was a he's you know doing for what they might call white collar crime and i think i had to make him Sympathetic. I had to make you like him. I had to make you want to believe him. I had to make you want to go to lunch with him. And that's always my goal uh, in the characters I play, because when someone says, oh, you're playing a bad guy, I say, well, let the audience determine if he's Mm -hmm. a bad guy. It's their choice. And the beauty of Yusef, and when you went into the apartments that you were trying to get money to buy, and you walk in and you're very lovingly touching the wall with the fresh coat of paint on it, a white blank canvas. That is such a poignant moment. 
And the look on your face is just priceless. My heart melted because that was the sincerity and the beauty within Yusef that came forward really emerged in that moment. And you knocked my socks off in that scene. Thank you so much. I like that. I'm definitely going to be asking you for $50,000. Did you do any research into this whole credit card fraud thing, or did you rely on what John had in the script? Um, I did a lot of research. I, um, I do, when, when, I, when I play characters, uh, you know, I, I, I said this before, I, I'm not big on when actors talk about how they do roles. I just think it's kind of ludicrous. Um, but I, I, my, my thought process is, and my process when I'm uh, playing a character is, it's all about not just who they are, not where they're from, but like I need to know everything they do. So I was fortunate that I knew a lot about this already. I knew a lot about credit card fraud. I knew a lot about that world. I knew a lot about uh, dummy shopping and I really dove even deeper into it um, in my research and talking to people. And then at the same time, you know, um, just who he was, you know, where he was from, what he was about, and that all is being done way, you know, the second I say yes, the second the film is happening, the second we know it's a go, uh, my entire life is that and, and nothing else. You know, what kind of music they listen to, what kind of food they eat, how they walk, how they talk, everything becomes about that. And I become, you know, a little bit obsessive about it because I know that I only have one shot at it. So. Um, I have to do it to the best of my ability. So, yeah, I learned as much as I absolutely could about um, everything to do with credit card fraud. So I'm ready when you're ever. <laughs> what, if, what was the most interesting thing that you learned in preparation for this role about How that? How easy it is. You know. How easy it is to get people's credit card numbers. Really easy. Anytime you're on an open network. Um, no, that it's, uh, everybody's on an open source network, so you just don't realize how vulnerable you are. You know, you're relying on a lot of other companies to protect you, so that was a real eye-opener for me, you know, and I went into this, like, deep rabbit hole of, like, protection. I was like, and VPNs, and, you know, certain browsers, and certain, this, because it's incredible how, uh, how open and uh, most people are, and they don't know it. That was the first thing I learned. And, um, you know, how many people don't change their passwords and how many, so this was all incredible knowledge for me to gain and probably also super helpful for my own life. Mm -hmm. One more question. You know, on, I got I got to got to come up with a, a good one for you here, Theo. Mm -hmm. Having now made Emily the criminal, you always take something away and put into your own arsenal. Be you an actor, be you a director, a producer, a writer. What did you learn about yourself as an actor making this film that you can now put into your arsenal and take forward into your future projects? The experience. This one was all about the experience for me. This one was all about how much I truly enjoyed making this film. That was probably... Um, 
A lot, some, listen, there's a lot of great films that you make over your career if you're fortunate enough and, and projects that you're on, television shows. And there's some that, you know, maybe aren't as great for whatever that reason is. This one, the one thing that I will always pull from this, no matter what happens from it, is I had such a wonderful experience making it. Like, I, there were times when I was on it that I was like, if I can just do films like this for the rest of my career, I'd be happy. The way, everything that went down with it. Well, I'll watch anything that you're in, Theo. And, you know, the fact that you are now going to team up with Emerson on something else, I'm already anxious for that. But Thanks. yeah, hopefully sooner than later we're uh, we're in process, and I'll let him know tonight that you say hello. Please do, and thank you for making Emily the criminal. I really, really like this film. All right, Dev. If you go down any criminal uh, path, don't blame me. <laughs> I, <appreciate> <laughs> I won't. Thanks, Theo. Have a great night. Bye bye. And that was Theo Rossi talking about Emily the Criminal. And I, I have to confess to you that I did have to take out certain sections of the interview, edit them out uh, at Theo's request because we went off on laughing tangents talking about, you know, joking about going into business and, you know, similar to what we're seeing unfold on the screen. And uh, he decided, we both decided that, no, nah, we probably shouldn't include that in there because there's some people that will take it the wrong way and not see the humor as Pam's nodding her head up and down uh, in the booth hearing that. But if you haven't seen Emily the Criminal, and it did just come out, see it. It is excellent, incredible performances, and it is a trifecta win with John Patton Ford as the writer-director Aubrey Plaza is producer and actor, and Theo Rossi uh, going toe-to-toe with Aubrey. Um, and as I said, it's got a really nice... Gina Gershon pops in with a really nice turn. Um, but, and, as you heard Theo mention, if you haven't seen Escape the Field, Emerson Moore. Uh, you heard from Emerson Moore earlier this year on Behind the Lens. Uh Theo's getting ready to team up with him again, but Escape the Field. If you haven't seen that, look it up. It's available online. And also, Low Riders. It goes back a few years. Uh, it's been within the past 10, though, people. Uh, but it goes back a few years. It is a really, really interesting film. Very well done. And if you're into cars and low riders, you definitely want to check that check that out, and uh, you'll learn a lot it, through this narrative feature about the lowrider culture. But in the meantime, go download the Time Detectives app and uh, check out Emily the Criminal. And I'll be back next week. And next week we're going to be taking a look at Into the Flight, uh, which yes. It is a war movie. So, until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.